Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm here with Wendy Christie. Hello, Wendy. How are you doing? Hello, Tamara. Yeah, really well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It feels like we've had a little sort of summer break, so we're we're coming back to doing our recording, and I'm delighted that we are joined today by Ruth Fittick, who is the marketing director at Simply Roasted Crisps. And before that, Ruth led the marketing at Pop Chips for eight years, and she also uh, launched Coca-Cola brand Vitamin Water in the UK. So welcome, Ruth. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. So Ruth, with our podcast, what we like to do is kind of just let you share your story. So I'm so interested to know your background of how you got into marketing in the first place and give us a little sort of flavor. And I use that word very specifically because of the the work (laughs) that you've done. Can you talk through your early career and how, how you got to where you are now? Sure. So sort of going all the way back, I left uni in the last recession. So I think it was 2008 or 2009. And I just didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I'd done English Lit at uni, which did end up having lots of transferable skills that have sort of become clear over the course of my career. But at the time, you know, it wasn't like I'd done medicine and I was going to go be a medic. It was There was no real clear path. People kept asking me if I was going to be a teacher, um, so much so that at one point I was like, maybe I just need to be a teacher. This seems to be what everyone's expecting me to do now. <laughs> And I just I just took the first job that I got offered, basically, because I was sort of terrified. Everything sort of the news was that there were no jobs. And my auntie was working at, had a business running a science park. So I moved to Liverpool and worked at Liverpool Science Park in operations, but then running events in the conference space. So that, I guess, was my first foray into, you know, events and I was just desperate to get to London. That's where all my friends were. I was, you know, in a city I didn't know on my own. So then I took the next first job I was offered, uh, which was another relative's company. And my uncle had a premium spirits sales and marketing agency. Um, but I was the office person. So I sort of inputted orders and did all the admin. But they, the premium brands they looked after included at the time Kettle One and uh, some other really fun, nice brands. And there was a lot of parties um you know it was a kind of a lifestyle that I certainly couldn't afford to live myself at the time and yeah the work I was doing was pretty mind-numbing but I saw what the brand managers were doing across the room and I thought well that looks fun (laughs) and then at the point of which the work became too mind-numbing I thought I've really got to sort of make a change here I still didn't really know what I wanted to do but I kind of, sounds sort of quite vacuous, but I followed the fun, basically. I, I looked at people I knew and what they were doing. and had a friend who worked at an experiential marketing agency, and I had no idea what experiential marketing was. But it sort of was a bit of venti, which is what I'd had a bit of experience of, and, and a bit brandy, which I'd kind of seen and was a little envying across from my own office manager position. And I asked her if you got any jobs going, and they did. So I met the account manager for a new product launch, 
got on really well with her and uh, they offered me the job basically. So I came in as an account exec and, and the brand was Vitamin Water, which at the time hadn't launched here yet, but was a big Coke, big, big, big Coke. You know, they'd just bought it in a bidding war with Pepsi and they'd spent $5 billion on it and they were looking kind of for world domination. So my that boss, Kat, was 27, I was 25. We had a £1.3 million festival marketing budget. Um, <laughs> and uh, in those three years, we ran all of the sampling and events for Vitamin Water. Um, and that was just an absolutely incredible experience. You know, I was agency side, but pretty much seconded to Coke. So I had a Coke laptop, a desk at Coke. And I just absolutely loved it. You know, that was the first big, shiny, new brand startup energy, but with a massive budget, which is basically the best of both worlds. <laughs> and I was there for three years. Um, my boss, Couchy, moved on and I took over the account. So I was still very young, very green, um, a bit out of my depth. And I'd, I sort of I didn't have anybody more senior than me in the agency even, really. So it was quite tough at times. I moved with the account a couple of times too. So I, I changed agencies. And after three years, I just the agency life had really sort of burnt me out. I was working crazy hours, you know, it was all these events, which were really fun, but I was getting a bit older and a bit more tired. And, you know, I wasn't earning very much money. Um, so I, I sort of felt like I'd been kind of quite wrung out by that experience. And at that point, I got approached by pop chip so it was all very serendipitous hadn't sort of started looking properly for another job at that point and they had at the time at which vitamin water had sold in the US pop chips was sort of coming up in ascendancy so they'd poached a lot of the original marketing people it was the same marketing strategy you know it was a lot of the same words which I just knew how they talked about marketing and the founder had said when they launched in the UK find the person that did the vitamin water marketing um, oh, wow. so I was like that's me um, <laughs> so I think I had a sort of 10 minute interview with him and, and my boss the sort of UK general manager who had become my boss was sort of really trying to reel the interview back in because Keith, the founder, was saying, so we're going to fly you to New York to meet the team. And I was thinking, wow, I've really got this in the bag. And then the, my boss was like, no, 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 hang on. Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> let's, let's rein this back in. But it, it did feel sort of pretty meant to be. It was, the, it was the perfect job for me. And my initial job title I went in with was field marketing manager, which still doesn't really mean much now. I've never really come across it again. I think it must be an American term. But again, it was sampling, it was events. But obviously, as the brand grew, it became so much more than that. So I was employee number two, the marketing lead, essentially, and I really grew with the brand. So I was there for eight years. So a big chunk of my career, really. And it just was a wonderful company to work for, really nothing bad to say about the whole time I had there and they were so supportive of me during that time I went off maternity leave and I came back and I didn't want to work full time I didn't I live in Brighton I didn't want to be commuting five days a week and they created a role for me that I could do in two and a half days which is basically unheard Amazing. of so I headed up innovation which was sort of a newly formed function of the business and then the business got acquired, which is what we always wanted to happen. We knew we were building towards that, um, got acquired by KP Snacks. And I was actually by that point pregnant with my second child. So I went on maternity leave knowing that I'd be coming back to no business, basically. And everybody took voluntary redundancy. You know, just the business as it was, um, was no more. And that was probably a really good thing because I don't think I would have ever left because I loved it so much. <laughs> but it was time to go. You know, I could do it with my eyes closed by that point. But so I, I really had to be pushed out of that by the business no longer existing. And so I was coming back from mat leave, 
And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I thought I'm going to give freelancing a go. I want something that fits around family. And I, I got some sort of really initial, really great freelancing projects that sort of fell into my lap quite easily. And then um, COVID hit and everything just stopped. Yeah. So I had this very nervy, well, we, 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 my husband, the same sort of six months where suddenly it was like, what is happening? And... I was just sort of posting on LinkedIn, really, not sort of quite uncomfortably, not really enjoying it. And I got approached by someone who said, I'm working on this new startup for a snack brand, really need someone to come in, you know, on a consultancy basis just to help get it off the ground. And I was like, well, you know, I can do this. It's it's better for you bag salty snacks. This is my, <laughs> this is my niche. Um, and it was started off, it was just going to be a sort of freelance project. It was all pre, it was totally pre, all it was at the time was a name on a piece of paper and a packaging route that we had to write off and start again. And then three years later, here I am. So I again, I think about a year ago, I came in house. So at that point, I was still consulting. But that's I think it was a sort of, you know, it's pre revenue for most of the time I've been here. I never intended to stay, but I just wasn't ready to hand over the baby quite yet. It felt like the initial, you know, what I'd set out to do, I hadn't done and it's been a really, you know, wild ride, as we say, in startup land. And people who've worked in startups will know what I mean by that. You know, a lot of high highs, a lot of low lows, but I'm just incredibly proud of the work that we've done. And I think for me to be able to take all of the experience that I gained at Pop Chips of being at kind of every stage of a brand's life from launch to acquisition and then take that to something entirely new that's just a name on a piece of paper and be able to create that brand that has been, you know, the sort of challenge and opportunity of my career so far, I'd say. It's obviously your sweet spot by the sounds of it. And, and <laughs> or all, your savoury spot. Or your savoury spot, <laughs> yes. And, and also kind of probably a, a nice thing for LinkedIn and kind of shout out that it's so important to sort of be out there and network as well that you can get those opportunities. Oh, abs- absolutely. I mean, I still, every time I think LinkedIn is time consuming and a bit draining, something that day will come through on it. And I'll be like, oh, no, it's, it's, it is unbelievable as a networking, you know, and I'm not a big, I enjoy it more now that I'm older and more confident. I think my days in Liverpool Science Park going to networking events where I was the only person sort of under 50, the only woman and the only person not in science in the room, maybe sort of put me off networking for a very long time and then realised sort of through gradually doing it more on LinkedIn. And then now I'm very happy to go to events full of marketing people and brand people. It's very yeah. different. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a softer way of networking, I think, that it's still very valuable. And how wonderful to have been recognised for your work. You know, I want the person that did that. That, that is absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's one thing being able to impress at an interview, but that must have felt really amazing. Yeah, I think it's um, all the jobs that I've had. I've never had a sort of formal interview process for actually. I've been through that process and they haven't, it hasn't worked out. And I've been sort of a little bit crushed at the time, but actually... I, it has led me to believe that the right thing often just comes about because it's exactly the right fit. And that, well, or maybe I'm just incredibly lucky, but that is how it's worked for me has been right place, right time, you know, exactly the right experience. I mean, I don't want to work in bag salty snacks forever. So at some point, <laughs> I'm probably going to have to <laughs> switch, switch it up a bit and then it might be a bit different. But um, yeah, it has been sort of serendipitous to this point, I'd say. Mm-hmm. 
And if you don't mind, I'd like to go back even further than, than you've already talked about and go back to when you were little and explore what you were like as a child and how you think that might have impacted where you are so far in your adulthood. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing to think about because I don't spend much time think, thinking about my childhood. I had a really supportive extended family, so a big family, and we spent our summers all together at my grandma's house on the Essex coast, so we'd be there for the full six weeks. And there were lots of strong female characters in my family, not necessarily you know, big career women. In fact, there was sort of a lot of late bloomers who'd put family first and then had kind of found their thing later in life, but very strong women. And I was the oldest of my cousins, so I think I was sort of probably quite bossy, but also <laughs> that. I really, I really sort of felt that I was the head of the next generation in a sense. And what I got from them and from my parents was, you know, that sense of you can do anything, you can be anything. And I think for them, it hadn't been quite like that. So, yeah. and that was obviously a very positive thing, but also probably, you know, double-edged sword a little bit and the sort of pressure that I took on from that. But, you know, I was sort of told that I was clever, you know, I was bright. I was given a lot of confidence, I think, as a child. I was very independent, um, sort of too much so, really. Apparently, I would wander off in supermarkets. I really did not need that reassurance of an adult. I was just like, I'm fine. And I can actually remember at the point when my dad would read to me before I went to bed and one day just taking the book off him and saying, I can get through this much more quickly on my own. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> uh, I was very sociable, so happy in big groups. And my mum said... Um, because oh, she's staying with me at the moment anyway. So I got, I got, I asked her about this. And she said that I learned social cues very early on in the sense that it sounds sort of quite manipulative, really, but I knew what to say to please the adult. So we'd be around at a friend's house who was a vegetarian. And I'm now a vegetarian, but at the time, you know, this was the early 90s and she'd be serving up. I don't know what, but we only ate fish fingers, basically. And I'd say, this is delicious. Thank you so much. Whilst pushing it sort of under my plate, <laughs> where my sister next to me would be sobbing. And my grandma would buy us these, she'd go to the charity shop and get us these awful Christmas presents. And you'd be kind of seeing it under the tree with a sense of dread because you <laughs> knew it was going to be awful. And I'd open mine and be like, I love it. Thank you so much, grandma. <laughs> so I think I could kind of you know, I, I knew what to say um, to, to, you know, I was probably a little bit of a people pleaser, which mm -hmm. I, I still am now to an extent, sort of recovering people pleaser. I had a good command of words from a very early age. I was really good at arguing. My mum used to say I could be a good lawyer. You know, I think I was one of those answer back kids who would do it in a sort of, I mean, my kids do it to me now. So they, and you end up having to say, because I said so. And you think, <laughs> God, you've made a good point there. But um, no, because I said so. Um, <laughs> And I was very capable, but on the other hand, not at all brave in any way. So very squeamish, hated, you know, having, there's a sort of family story of when I got conjunctivitis and had to be pinned down to have the eye drops put in my eyes, you know, hated medicines, blood, just a sort of capable and yet wimpy kid, <laughs> whereas my sister would throw herself out of planes paragliding I'd be like no no <laughs> it sounds like it's probably just as well you didn't do that medicine degree yes oh no no there was never any my dad's a doctor actually and there was just never any chance of me following him in the, <laughs> into medicine in any any way but yeah I was I had a really happy childhood and I think I was a, a happy kid 
school, I was a bit of a swat, really liked getting good grades. I liked that sort of sense of achievement. I liked praise from teachers. Um, I think there was a bit of a time in my teenage years where that sort of hit up against my love of fun. (laughs) And there was a bit of a clash there between those two things. But yeah, I, I was one of those sort of achieving, you know, I wanted, I was crushed when I didn't get the grades I wanted at A-level, you know, I had a Mm -hmm. lot of sense of needing to achieve. I don't know if that comes from being told that I was really good at lots of things and then feeling like, actually, I'm not. But yeah, I think that I had very strong work ethic sort of drilled into me by my family that I then probably then attached to achievement in a way that I'm sort of still trying to separate and still trying to sort of separate out that you know work ethic can be a really good thing but it can also again sort of veer into something not that healthy so mm-hmm. yeah and I think when I was little I wanted to be I was very into fossils so at one point and dinosaurs I wanted to be an archaeologist at one point when I was very young and then as I got older I wanted to work for the civil service I wanted to work my dream was to work in the foreign office and sort of be a diplomat or something like that, which still mm-hmm. sounds great doesn't it you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what point I lost sight of that because <laughs> yeah that would have that would have been lovely but um yeah never mind you know I had no idea what marketing was it was mm-hmm. not a, it was not on my radar no I, I think so far I, I mean we've spoken to uh, quite a lot of people on the podcast now and I don't think anyone has no. said when I was nine I wanted to be in marketing yeah yeah but it sounds like obviously you had all these strong uh, women in your family were there uh, people that you looked up to as a child either from that group or a teacher or an actor or anyone at all yeah I think within my I think within my family probably there were, you know, there were a lot, of, a lot of them. My mum has two sisters and a brother, and it was always my grandparents had this sort of open house. There were always people there, and they were very. My grandparents, my grandparents were missionaries, so they moved to Africa, wow. and and they were, you know, the very religious. I'm not religious, but that sort of sense of doing the right thing, making the world better that sort of very strong sense of ethics I grew up with and I really took on. And I think not... Everyone in my family is very vocal, you know, they're very out, ex, sort of extrovert, vocal, happy to speak their minds. You speak up, you know, at the dinner table, you'd have to sort of speak up, otherwise no one would hear you. And that, I think, had the biggest impression on me. I don't particularly remember actors and things like that I think I was we grew up in I grew up in East London and we were part of a very tight community so I think there were just a lot of adults um, that were either relatives or you know felt like relatives because we spent all our time at their houses and yeah a sort of big sense of doing the right thing a sort of social justice is probably too much but you know giving and leaving Mm -hmm. things better and I think that I really sort of still have within me which I learned from that upbringing. That's wonderful and and sort of coming more back more up to date um, and again coming back thinking about your career have there been particular people who've supported you or influenced you? Yeah so my you know specifically of my relatives my auntie Sarah it was the first person I worked for at Liverpool Science Park and she 
is so incredibly driven. So she was a stay-at-home mom and then she went back to uni and got a PhD and then went into a business as an assistant. And I think within a year had basically taken over and was then the business partner of the guy whose assistant that she'd been a year ago and was this incredibly strong, driven, you know, entrepreneurial and and she'd come at it quite late in life relatively so when I worked for her her standards I used to write press releases and they'd come back covered in red pen and um, you know I'd go back and do it again I remember the last one I ever did just said no amends and I was like I'm ready for the world and then on the flip side it's very very different character but my boss at vitamin water Kat who is only a couple of years older than me she was an incredibly free spirit, this sort of very creative person who I think until that point, I'd spent a lot of time and energy trying to fit in. You know, when you're a bit younger, like it's fitting in that is the most important thing. And then I really learned from her that that, you know, it's better to stand out and you can be different and that's OK. And and we were really close for a couple of years while we worked together because we were doing all this traveling and and. Yeah, just this sort of thinking outside the box, being outside the box. And she was really good at culture and sort of tuning in to zeitgeist and then putting that into marketing plans and just had a sort of thing. She was, she was incredibly cool. So I, I think for a little bit, I don't know, that rubbed off on me because I was just sort of hanging around with her going to all these parties and things. And I, I'm not that cool. But actually learning from that of what you can take into marketing thinking and just life of that sort of not being afraid to be different and actually Mm -hmm. there being a lot of value in that and then my boss at pop chips so I worked with him from the very first day it's called Will and he uh it's funny because I feel weird saying nice things about him because our relationship is sort of based around sarcasm and insulting (laughs) each other (laughs) but you know, he is incredibly smart and also just a thoroughly nice guy. And he's still now, if I have a question or a quit, you know, anything, he will just say, yeah, call me tomorrow and we'll chat it through. So his the way he built the team at Pop Chips, I learned so much from that. He'd come from Innocent and just the culture that we had there, this sort of, you know, it's just crisps. It's not saving lives. We don't need to worry. I never saw him stressed, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. a startup in eight years. He was this incredible sort of buffer between what must have been going on with the founder and things at the top between the rest of the team. And just that, you know, that whole kind of nice guys finish last thing, just thoroughly debunking that. And actually Mm -hmm. the business is built on relationships. And if you be the sort of person that people want to work with, and you're going to get much further. So I learned a lot from that that I've tried to take forward how to build a culture how to build a team you know it wasn't perfect nothing is we're all all learning as we go but I really value that relationship now it's been really helpful in the last couple of years since we've worked together too and then you know my husband to say he is he's my biggest cheerleader but it's not in a it's in a way that he will call me out on things. So it's not, you know, it's not like a blind, you're amazing, you can do this. It's a, 
no, you said last week you didn't want to do that and now you're doing it. Stop doing it. Or, you know, and especially when I was freelancing because I just had a baby. I'd never done it before. And I was trying to set my own day rate and I was just negotiating myself down before I even spoke to somebody. You know, I'd I'd go in and knock like a hundred quid off before. And he was like, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) I think just... And I trust his opinion because I know he's always honest with me. So he'll sort of support me and build me up, but not blindly. You know, he'll also call me out if if I need to be called out. But I think sometimes, you know, especially as a woman, we struggle talking about money. And he's been incredibly helpful, giving me a bit of that male energy. No, no, this is what you should ask for. Mm -hmm. And this is how you... And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) And actually, it's been... It's been pretty transformative and I really appreciate having that. I don't always like, you know, you know, you don't always like having direct, honest feedback. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not always easy to hear, but that's that's the good stuff, isn't it? So very l- lucky to have that. And on that, I think I've got a network now of people that I've met mostly on LinkedIn or through sort of industry events and things. And I never, because I'd never had... And all these business, all these roles I mentioned, I talk about bosses, but generally they were the general manager. They weren't the market. They were, there was never a marketing person above me, even when I was really young. And I never, you know, I didn't do marketing at uni. I never had that formal sort of blue chip training. And there has been a lot of points, you know, well, continually the sort of imposter syndrome sets in and you think I don't really know what I'm doing. And I've now got a great network of people who I can go to and say, you know, Am I being unreasonable? Have I gotten this wrong? You know, is is this right? And then, you know, and, you know, you can trust trust them to be honest with you and answer. And generally, we sort of lift each other up and support each other mm-hmm. because generally we do all know what we're doing. We just don't necessarily have the same language as the people who've been at, you know, Mars for 20 years have. But mm-hmm. it's, it's the same stuff, isn't it? So, yeah, I've really I've sort of built my own network in the last couple of years of people that I can rely on and they can rely on me. And that's been pretty transformative as well. And is there any advice that you'd give to someone who's just embarking on their career, whether it's in marketing or anything? Yes, I could probably do a whole podcast just on this. Um, I I feel like there's already been some nuggets that you've said that I want to write down. (laughs) I think, um, and I'm going to say this as if I was talking to myself, because, you know, that's the best way of doing it. I think work hard you know the early years are a real grind but I, I read something really good the other day that said in a job you should be learning or earning ideally both and I think those early years is the learning you know you're mm-hmm. doing the learning so that later you can be earning so it's putting in the hard yards but having said that I think you need to protect yourself so agency life especially you know I burnt out with it I think I sort of over serviced as it as it were what I was doing, um, had no boundaries. And like, I do regret that. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to say I regret it because maybe it got me to where I am now, but I think I probably still could have, I could have reined it in 10% and probably mm-hmm. still, mm-hmm. you know, reached where I am now. So I think, yes, work hard, but not, you know, to a fault. I think be wary of a culture that describes itself as a family. So, you know, yes. work is work. And you need to set your boundaries. Um, It's great to have friends at work, but you're not just, you're building a career, you're also building a life. So make sure Mm -hmm. what you have outside of work is equally, you know, something that you want to spend your time in. Um, And it's a bit dangerous 
when your career is your life, I think. And I'm speaking for myself there, I think, especially in my 20s when I was doing all these events at the weekends and things and all my friends were the people I worked with. It's, you know, jobs, things change, things move on, and it can be very devastating at that point if you've sort of invested your entire sense of self is tied up with your job. I think let go of the concept of a ladder. So I think in my early stage of my career, you know, that next move always felt so critical. It was like, if I get this wrong, if this brand fails, if something, then that's it, that's it. I'm going to be, you know, it's all over. And that's just not the case. I think going off on maternity leave and coming back really helped with that. It was like, you can take a break and actually it's fine. You know, I think sometimes a lateral move makes sense. Sometimes getting off completely you know, different times in your life, sometimes you won't have the flexibility to do that because, you know, you need the money. Sometimes you might have a bit more flexibility and actually you want your time back. Uh, it's not kind of one wrong move and everything collapses. Yeah. And I think the final thing, which I'm actually only really learning for myself now, but I wish I'd learn earlier, is learning the difference between gut instinct and fear and making decisions accordingly. And I've only just sort of learned that, but it's completely transformative. So, you know, people, you, your body hate brain hates change mm-hmm. and making big life decisions, big career decisions. It is normally the fear that sort of shouts the loudest that can keep you trapped somewhere. Whereas if you can learn the difference and find that gut instinct voice and follow that instead you're going to make better decisions um, that you can trust in. And it's hard to sort of override that sort of sense of feeling the fear and doing it anyway or Mm -hmm. recognising what it is and overriding it, especially as, you know, I just told you as a child, I was a thoroughly unbrave person. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, I think if if you can crack that sooner, then whatever you decide to do is going to be right for you because, you know, you're going to be moving forward with your own best intentions rather than sticking something out just because you're scared of the next thing. And it's interesting that you say about the the bravery because you've worked with so many startups <laughs> and for other people, you know, that that's, that is an incredibly brave thing because you don't have the sort of the comfort of a well-established team and sort of coming in. And so what, what is it about startups and, and what are the lessons that you've learned from working with them? Yeah, I love startups. Every time I say it's going to be my last and then I just go back in again. I think it's the roller coaster, you know, the highs are very high, the lows are very low, but it's exciting in a way that being in a cog in a machine for me isn't. I think the thing I like most about it is you do something and you see the effect and it's fairly instant um, in some cases. Or it's, you know, with Pop Chips, it was going from a brand that no one had heard of to a sort of fairly mainstream brand and knowing that that was, that was you know, in part down to me and that was, you know, yeah. my work. So I, I think the rewards are enough to outweigh the kind of the 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 lows. Um, And I think that what I learned at Pop Chips has helped manage that. You need a certain amount of resilience in order to be able to cope with it. But you also need that mentality of, you know, this is not lives at stake here. We're just selling crisps. So we all want to do a great job and want this to succeed. But actually, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, And I think lessons learned, I'd say you need... 
a founder that you can get behind, that you trust in their vision, you need to really see the the, re- the brand's reason for being. I think for me, it's always it's always been down to it's obvious, but a great product. So yeah. it's it's there's got to be a genuine gap in the market. There's got to be a genuine ca- like category challenge going on. Like that's I think actually rather than startup, that's the bit I like the most. It's mm. and it tends to be startups because it's something new, but it's that challenging of categories, making stuff a bit better. You need to, if, if yeah, if you want to work in startups, sort of, there's a lot of things to interrogate before you decide. And being comfortable, like you say, being comfortable with risk, because most fail. But if you're going to learn a lot along the way, it doesn't necessarily matter. And if you let go of this sense of, oh, well, if this fails and my career is going to tank, it's, it, then actually it's not that scary anymore. It's like, well, it's going to be a wild ride. It's a big risk. If it doesn't work out, then, you know, it doesn't matter. I've, I've, I've spent, you know, years in this business learning lots and so it's it's worth the risk but yeah it's definitely not for everybody i'd say yeah, <laughs> yeah you can definitely tap into that creative side of where uh, with with your colleague cat uh, of just like deciding what you're going to do and be complete completely creative as well yeah i think i think that's it it's that freedom i think the other thing for me that i like about it is the sort of cross functionality of it so it's understand it's working really closely with other areas of the business and working together and then seeing the impact that has rather than being side I don't think yeah the sort of siloed which Coke was you know there's quite a lot of that um, <laughs> and in other businesses that sort of conflict between sales and marketing like they're on opposing sides when actually it's like well, well that's crazy we're sort of two sides of the same coin and I've been really lucky both pop chips and simply roasted it's not like that at all it's like you know we're we're a really unified team and we respect what each other do but I think that that startup you learn that because you see the impact of what you're doing and when I was at innovate doing innovation at pop chips is working really closely with ops and supply and technical and you know, they often don't have much in common with marketing. It's quite a different skill set and often a sort of slightly different personality type. But, you know, it's really important that what you're doing in marketing, sort of you can talk to the rest of the business about why you're doing that and how it benefits their function and what it's doing. And I think you you learn that from that really close contact of all being in a room together and it being a tiny team. Definitely, definitely. And so Simply Roasted, tell us more about what's exciting you about the uh, the journey now. Yeah, I think for me, the, the the best bit was taking the sort of it from a name on a piece of paper to a fully formed brand. That was, I just loved it. And it's meant that I'm, you know, any time now anyone says, oh, I love the packaging or any, I'm like, thanks, that's mine. <laughs> um, you know, we worked in an incredible agency and it's been a really iterative process as well. So, you know, we'd, we'd get to a certain point and then I'd suddenly be like, hmm, this isn't, this isn't quite right. Let's go back and look at the personality again and the tone of voice again. And and where we got to with it, I'm just so proud of. Um, and it's been, you know, it took a long time. I think that you don't get it perfect just before you launch. You launch with mm-hmm. something and then you learn and you iterate. So it's 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 really been a gradual process but being able to start something from scratch and then starting the business from scratch so setting the the vision and the values and the culture I think just being given that blank slate has been 
and being able to take the sort of you know mostly what I learned from pop chips to be honest and and bring it to a new and like sort of put it into practice somewhere else and sort of test and learn and think well actually these things need to change but yeah I think the brand that brand creation this sort of initial brand strategy and positioning it's like a puzzle to crack and I really love that um and all the marketing stuff we've done has been great but actually really for me that's the bit I love the most is the where should we put this you know where should it go on shelf who who's our competitor who's our main competitor and that you know it has changed since we launched we've kind of evolved and sometimes you know you you let the market decide but that whole process yeah I've just loved that fantastic and something that's been weaving through is is the conversations about culture and and leadership and so what's your approach to leadership and and how do you get the best out of your team I think I, I try and lead by example so I've sort of talked a few times about you know there's being more to life than selling crisps and we're not saving lives here so that work-life balance for me is really important you know I've got two kids I live by the beach in Brighton and I'm very boundaried in protecting that and I hope that by doing that that kind of filters down through the team I think you can't say as a business we're all about work-life balance when the boss is then working till midnight every night and sending emails on a weekend so I think that's the first thing is protecting people's personal times and personal lives so when they come to work they're at work and they're focused and they've got the energy but understanding that that's you know that is just work I think I, I try to lead by my values of in the times in my career where I've not been within my values it's been a horrible horrible time I think that's the, the one of the things I've learned so you know honesty is a big one for me I try and be honest in all forms at all times (laughs) positivity very you know that again is one of my core values but I just think it's the the best way of being Um, so I try and lead with positivity but I think the main thing in startup land is creating a culture where people are okay with failure so you know we say in startups you've got to move fast and break things and that's just not possible if people are worried about their jobs or worried about getting in trouble um you know there are startup life is risky the things that we do are risky and that's great and it's it should be encouraged i've you know i've never in my whole career ever had to tell someone off you know the idea of yelling at someone is inconceivable but i've never even had to tell someone off because there's we don't have a blame culture there's never been a blame culture so it's okay to own up to your mistakes because you know that you know you're not you're not going to get yelled at and that then creates an environment where people are happy to try things and you know you test and you learn and and there's nothing wrong with things going wrong as long as you're sort of looking at why it went wrong so i think you know empathy you know i care a lot about people i'm i'm a bit of a recovering people pleaser but yeah i've always sort of cared about the people that work for me and and want to do right by them and and you you think that's a given but unfortunately I don't think it is you know I almost didn't say it because I was like obviously people care about the people that work for them but I don't I don't know if that's always true so yeah I think I have a sort of softer approach to leadership and try and create a culture where people can try things and feel sort of secure and also have a you know a, a thriving life outside of work that then means when they come to work it's just, you can't demand creativity from people when you're you know expecting them to work 
12 hour days and mm-hmm. they're incredibly stressed i think i've always you know in the marketing team has been in one one new ideas and want to be doing things differently and and sort of be at the top of your game and and so in order for that to happen you've got to kind of protect people's energy i think it's such an important thing i think and also you know you mentioned about perception and being that that role model in in terms of like protecting your time it can happen so easily that the culture can change to oh well everyone is expected to work late work weekends I think it's fair to say that sometimes people have different rhythms and sometimes I actually do work on a Sunday because I'm sort of lining things up for the week, but you can always use schedule send so that yeah. the emails come in on the Monday morning because, you know, you don't want to set that tone that everyone mm-hmm. is expected to work all hours. And, and it's an, it's such a simple thing, but it really matters to sort of be a, be a role model and set, set that perception. Yeah, I've worked... One of my businesses, which was American, the attitude there is basically the exact opposite. And that someone would send out emails on a Saturday to the whole company, and then everyone would reply as quickly as possible. It was sort of a race to respond, and they would be really like, you know, nothing important. It would be like, oh, we've got a new starter in the business, or oh, we got a new listing, and everyone would be like, great. And it was like, wow, this is this is purposeful to sort of check that you're. <laughs> and and in the UK, of it was like, we're not going to engage with that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so tell me what motivates you both inside and out of work then? I think sort of wanting to leave things better. I mean, outside of work, I'm incapable of seeing something that I know could be done better and then leaving it alone. I, it's it's it, to a fault, you know, I recently joined the PTA at school. I don't want to do it, but I, <laughs> I see it being done and I'm like, You're this could WhatsApp be so much groups. better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very productive. I think that's another reason I like startups. I'm a highly productive person. I like to do things and then see the impact. So getting things done, making things better. I think for me in marketing, you know, marketing can be a bit of a dark art. So you're basically trying to persuade people to do things um, and you can use that for good or for bad so I've always tried to work for brands for me like the the health I've always worked in healthier brands so for me health is something that I'm really passionate about if you can switch from one thing to something a bit better then great I think increasingly sustainability you know I'd love my next project to have a sustainability focus because well for, for obvious reasons um but I think for me being able to look my kids in the eye when they're older and say you know, I did, I did what I could, that would be something I'd find very motivating. But yeah, I think summing it up by leave things slightly better than how I found them, almost compulsively sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We're going to move on now to the last section of the podcast where we, I was going to say get a bit more personal. I think we've probably (laughs) already been quite personal, but just some fun quickfire questions. So let's start with what's your idea of a perfect weekend? So I see either I'm sort of all an all or nothing person these days. I don't really drink very much unless I'm going sort of out. You know, it's either be three days at a festival with my friends, having a massive blowout, fun time, lots of dancing and singing. Or that probably happens once every five years. Or <laughs> it's probably <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or very 
you know, simple. I like to make everybody pancakes in the morning. We just, we bought Beach Hut this year and that's my absolute oh, wow. In Brighton. In Brighton. It's oh. my favourite place to be. So go down there, swim in the sea, you know, have some friends over. Just very simple. Be in nature, maybe go for a walk in the downs. I like a quieter life these days. Maybe it was all those festivals when I was at Vistamore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nature, sunshine, swimming in the sea. I think those are my those are my favourite things to do. Perfect. And on a completely different note, how would you fare in a zombie apocalypse? Oh, terribly. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing we've got to compare it to is COVID lockdowns. It's probably this, the closest. And the second COVID lockdown, I pretty much lost my mind I think it's I need human contact you know I'm a very sociable person um, and actually not being around friends Mm. um, in person I just found so difficult so I think you know zombie apocalypse unless we're kind of all living on a big commune in Cornwall which I would you know I'd love that that'd be great (laughs) but yeah but I I get having said that I think the last few years probably for all of us you know you you realize you're stronger than you think you're more resilient than you think we can adapt to these things so maybe I'd be okay but I'm not I'm not a natural survivor I don't think (laughs) (laughs) do you have a secret talent that not many people know about I do I can name pretty much any song from a certain era within three seconds of the opening bars playing so my husband calls me the human shazam (laughs) it is I mean I mean I surprise myself sometimes I don't know how I know them where it comes from I did spend I missed this bit off my career bit at the beginning but I did used to work in a cheesy nightclub in Leeds for a couple of years so I don't know if it's just from you know hearing the songs every night that they've just gone somewhere into my subconscious but um, yeah it's very effective in pub quizzes because it's often around i was, I was yes. gonna say i need to be in a music quiz with yeah. you now yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes likewise and we need to talk about song pop later if it's not something you already play I don't, no. <laughs> how would your friends describe you so i asked them this because you know it's always hard and it's great because it's a great exercise basically because you just go fishing for compliments which is lovely <laughs> so curious deep thinker loyal funny wonderful that's okay you can't, that call, you can't call yourself funny can you but it's nice if someone else says it <laughs> <laughs> brilliant well that is a, a wonderful place to stop but to before we end is there anything that you wish that we had asked you or any closing thoughts from you I think yeah I, I think going back to that if there's people listening who are at the start of their career especially if they're going through a sort of process at the moment of trying to get a job is is you know I, I know it's a really difficult tough grueling process and I think just saying it's as much and I think there's that desperation hit sinks in where you just sort of want to take anything which is like what I did at the beginning of my career which worked out fine in the end but I do think just to say remember it's a two-way process you know you're looking for something that's right for you as much as that and if they say no which I know sort of that continual rejection of people who are looking for jobs it's really difficult but it's it's not right and I know that sounds very basic but I feel like that's just something that I've really learned from the things that I've ended up doing. It's always been a door closes and it's upsetting and it feels like the end of the world. But later, you know, something opens and you realise that you would ne- that would never have happened if that other thing that hadn't been right worked out. So, yeah, I think sort of trust that if you're 
if you're if you're making if you're making decisions based on your gut instincts, I think things will pan out in the end, even when it's difficult at the time to see that. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.